and open with me this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 27 together as we talk about responding to the Word. So James chapter 1, picking up this morning in verse 19. As we read, we're going to back up to verse 18 because I want us to catch the context that James introduces in verse 18 that's going to carry us all the way through the end of the chapter as he talks to us this morning about responding to the Word of God. So this morning we're going to look at how we're to respond to the Word of God. And in the text we're going to see three ways in which we are to respond to the Word of God in our lives. So look with me now, James chapter 1 picking up in verse 18, and then we'll jump into verses 19 through 27 this morning. James says, of his own will, God, he's speaking of, of his own will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brethren, verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to walk through your word together this morning. Lord, I thank you for the worship that we have been able to offer up in song. And now, Lord, we pray that as we come before you to worship you through your word, that we would allow your word to have its impact in our life. Lord, that we would receive your word and we would respond to your word in such a way that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and Lord, your word would have its way in us and through us, that we would continue to be transformed and conformed into your image through the word of God this morning. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for all that you are going to do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see three ways in which we are to respond to the Word of God in our lives. Number one, we're to receive the Word with humility. We're to receive the Word with humility. Now, notice in verse 19, James continues the context that he began in verse 18. One thing you're going to see about the book of James is James is more organized than it appears James appears to be sort of sporadic points of application. And so he talks about the tongue. Then he talks about orphans and widows. He talks about the word of God. Then he talks about responding in anger and, and getting rid of filthiness. And he sort of tends to be all over the place. But in him being 
all over the place. Really, he's talking about central themes that we need to pick up on as we make our way through the book of James. And those Lord of what appears to be kind of sporadic comments are really examples of how we apply what he's talking about overall. So notice what I mean looking back in verse 18. He says of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel, the word of God, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then notice again in verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Then in verses 22 and following, he continues to talk about being doers of the word. So what we see then is that verses 19 and 20 aren't just sort of randomly thrown into the context of the word, but verses 19 and 20 are to be applied within the context of receiving the word of God. So here's what James tells us in verse 18. He says, you have received the word of truth, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and it has transformed you. You are now the first fruits, if you will, of his creatures. What God is going to do throughout the entire world, what God is going to do setting up his eternal kingdom, we've gotten a glimpse of it in our own personal lives. Amen? And that transformation has taken place through the word of truth that God has given to us. And then in verses 19 and 20, James talks about how we're to respond to receiving that word of truth before going on in verses 21 through 20 and following to talk more about responding to the received word of God. And so notice what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, brethren, I want everyone to understand this. This is something you need to put into practice. Every one of us needs to be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, given the context, this is not just good general advice for how we're to conduct our lives in this world. Now, I will say that Proverbs in the New Testament make it clear that this is good general advice, that in general, wisdom dictates that when we receive information, we're to be quick to listen to that information without jumping to conclusions, We're to be slow to speak. In other words, we're to think through what we've received before we respond, right? Your your mom or grandma might have taught you to count to 10 before you say something. Count to 10. Do something before you respond. But don't just blurt out the first thing that comes out, right? First thing comes to mind, not normally the best thing. So think about it before you speak. And then in all things, we're to be slow to anger. That's great advice, amen? You can put that on a coffee mug and drink out of it every day and you probably would live a more wise life if you did that. Like that is a good thing to live by and it is certainly supported by Proverbs and the New Testament. That's a good idea. But it's not exactly what James is talking about here. James is talking about how we're to receive the word. Now, most of the time when we think about being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, we think about that within the context of getting bad news or criticism or negative feedback. So if somebody comes to me and says, Will, I got some issues that I want to hash out with you, that I want to bring to your attention. I'm already on edge, right? I'm already going, okay, let me get in my defensive posture. Let me get sure that, let me make sure I'm ready to defend myself here. And then as soon as someone starts to speak, I want to quickly go, hold on, hold on, let me defend myself, right? 
And so, so normally that's what we think of when we think of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Somebody's bringing something to us that we don't want to hear. Well, in the same way, that's exactly what James tells us the Word of God is going to do in our lives sometimes. Matter of fact, there's many times where God's Word is delivered to us and what God has to say does not line up with how we are living our lives. And James says when that happens, and it will happen often, we first of all need to be quick to listen to the Word. I I like to say, Mouth shut, ears open, right? God doesn't need our feedback. God needs us to listen, right? You say, well, that sounds disrespectful. It's meant to be slightly disrespectful, right? It's meant to get our attention. Mouth shut, ears open, because God needs us to listen to his word. And so we're to come before the word as a newborn babe longs for milk, as a man of my age longs for a good steak. I'm supposed to come to the word because it's the word of God that nourishes me. Amen? And so I'm supposed to be quick to listen. I want to hear and listen and receive the word of God. I need to be excited about receiving the word of God. Amen? The Word of God doesn't need to be something that sits on my shelf or in the backseat of my car waiting for next Sunday to arrive. The Word of God needs to be something that I am receiving, I'm excited about, I long for the Word of God. I want to be quick to listen to the Word. But not only do I want to be quick to listen, but I also want to be slow to speak in response to the Word. Why? Because normally... My gut reaction to the word is either self-defending or self-glorifying. What do I mean? I mean, normally if I receive the word and the word is convicting me of sin, then my gut reaction, first of all, is to defend myself. Well, it's not really that bad. Well, I mean, technically, it's not really a sin. It's not... I try to defend myself. I try to rationalize, justify. We have a lot of different terms to describe that self-defending thing, right? Or I self-glorify. And I just think about how good I already am in that that area. Man, I'm already knocking it out of the park. I either self-defend or I self-glorify, but notice the key word there, I self. I self. Selfishly receive the word. James says, don't do that think about what you're receiving quick to hear the word slow to respond to the word let's make sure that when we respond to the word we respond to the word in such a way that we affirm the word in our lives we receive it and we realize that yes lord my life does not match this perfectly i want to affirm the truth of your word And I want to allow your word to get rid of that in me that doesn't need to be there. Amen? I want to to be quick to listen to it. I want to be slow to defend myself, slow to glorify self. Instead, I want to be slow in my response to the word to make sure that my response is me affirming that this is the word of truth. I love how James calls it the word of truth. This is not the word of opinion. This is the word of truth. Amen? And we're to submit to the authority of God's word and let God's word have its way in us. And then we're also to be slow to anger. You see, what we can't do is get angry at the word. Now, if we're being honest, right, 
Jerry, Jerry had you raise your hand a minute ago, and then Jerry sang, I'm not going to sing. But, but how, how many of you have ever gotten angry at God because his word told you something you didn't really want to hear? Right? Like, for instance, when you're going through a trial and God says, count it all joy. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sit well sometimes. Right? Or when you're in the midst of a difficult relationship and God tells you to reconcile that relationship. Right? When somebody slaps you on the cheek and God says to turn the other cheek instead of slapping back. Right? Now, now we may not get angry at the word in the way that we would get angry at one another. But oftentimes we get angry at the word. We do it in a more civilized way. But a lot of times we respond to the word by saying, I'm not doing that. In anger to the word. And James says here, don't get angry with the word. But understand that the word of God will sometimes hurt. Remember, it is a sharp two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Right? It is intended to cut away the parts of our life that don't need to be there. It's intended to poke and prod us so that we will see the parts of our lives that do not yet line up with Scripture, that have not yet been conformed to the image of Christ, that need to be transformed. And oftentimes that is uncomfortable and it is painful. Amen? But we cannot respond to that in anger. Why? Because notice James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What then does produce the righteousness of God? It's the word of truth. It's the word of truth. So notice what James says. He says in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Get sin that God's word identifies, that God's word shows you in your life. Get rid of that. That's the proper response to God's word. When God's word reveals sin that's going on in your life, you get rid of it. You confess it as sin and you repent of it. That's how you respond to the word. Amen? And we respond to the word by getting rid of the sin that it demonstrates and points out in our lives. And notice we receive the word then with meekness. Meekness is the opposite of anger. It's this idea that we receive the word with humility. Understanding that the correction that God's word offers to us is correction that we need. Amen. I got two kids. When you have two kids... You end up having to discipline two kids, right? Our kids are great. Discipline doesn't happen all the time, but there are times where discipline has to occur, right? I've yet to discipline my children and one of them turn around and say, thanks, dad. I appreciate it. I needed the correction, right? I needed that, dad. I appreciate that. I'm going to be better off for that later on in my life. Thanks a lot, right? But that's how we're to respond to the correction of God's word. God, that didn't feel good. That hurt, but I needed that. Thanks for the correction. Because God's correction not only proves that he loves us, but it also proves that he's working in us to bring us to completion. Amen? And so while correction is never fun, we cannot get angry. Instead, we have to receive the word with meekness. Now notice as well, James calls the word the implanted word in verse 21. 
He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Notice the word implanted means that God's word has been placed inside of you. The word has been implanted in us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As a matter of fact, remember God's word in Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has written his word on our hearts. He has placed his word within us. And through the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God's word impacts us from the inside. Amen. And what does it do? It is able to save our souls. That's why we receive the word with meekness and humility. That's why we receive the word with a smile on our face, even when it hurts. Because the word of God is having an eternal impact in our lives. Doesn't always feel good, though, does it? So how do we respond? We receive it with humility. We're quick to listen to it. We're Slow to respond, making sure that when we respond, we're affirming the truth of God's word in our lives. We don't get angry about it. Even when it's frustrating, even when it points out our sin, what do we do? We get rid of the sin. And we receive the word with humility, with meekness, knowing that God's word is having an impact in our lives for the sake of eternity. Amen? So when we respond or receive the word, we want to receive the word with humility. And then secondly, we want to respond to the word with obedience. Look with me in verse 22 and following. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. This serves as the theme of the entire book. Genuine faith produces real works and actions. If you want to sum up the entire book of James, you can sum it up like this. Do the word of God. Don't just hear the word of God, do the word of God. And then James gives us this hilarious and intentionally funny illustration. He says, a hearer of the word is like a man that looks intently at himself in a mirror. He studies his face, he studies his characteristics, he looks intently at himself only to then later walk away from the mirror and immediately forget what he looks like. Now that's intended to be a hilarious, ridiculous illustration. Imagine, if you will, looking at yourself in a mirror, studying your face, and then turning from the mirror to someone holding up a family photo and you not being able to identify yourself in a recent family photo. Right? That's crazy. Amen? How many of you took family photos around the holidays? Whether you liked it or not, you were in a photo. Amen? Right? Whether you liked it or not, somebody took your picture. And you had to stand there. You had to smile. You might have to wear matching clothes. And everybody had red on or whatever on. And you were in some kind of a photograph over the holiday. Imagine looking at that photo right now today and having no clue who you were in the photo. That might be me. I don't know. That kind of, that might be me too. You know what? I can't remember what I look like insane it's crazy and so is the person who hears the word of god and doesn't respond by doing the word of god that's the point it's ridiculous amen it's of no value 
It's pointless. It is absolutely absurd to hear the word and not do the word. So notice a few things that are important as James tells us that we are to be doers of the word. First, James encourages us that we must look into the word intently. Notice the illustration. It's like a man who looks at himself intently in a mirror. James is not saying the man shouldn't have looked hard. James is saying the man should have looked hard. The problem is the man forgot. But that doesn't mean that we are not supposed to look into the word intently. We need to look intently into the word of God. Listen, the only time you're hearing the word is at church on a Sunday morning. That's not enough. It's just not enough. That's not looking intently into the word. That's having someone teach you the word, which is of great value. God has gifted the church with teachers and preachers. But God anticipates and expects us to spend time intently looking into the word on our own. Amen? We've got to be spending time in the word. Now, listen, if you're here this morning and you're breathing then that's going to bring about some level of conviction. Because all of us, even those that are spending time in the Word, could say, well, I'm not spending enough time in the Word. Right? That's fine. We can acknowledge that. Here's what I want you to do. Whether or not you're spending any time or a lot of time in the Word, I just want you to make sure that you are spending time in the Word starting today. So you can feel that conviction. Don't get angry. Amen? And notice, by the way, most time you don't get angry at the word. Who do you get angry at? Me. You always get angry at the person delivering the word, right? Don't get angry. Instead, receive the word with humility. And acknowledge, I'm not spending any time in the word. I'm not spending enough time in the word. My question is, are you intently looking into the word of God? If you are, praise the Lord. Keep doing it. If you're not, start tomorrow. You say, where do I start? Start in the book of James. Just go back and read chapter 1. Then chapter 2, chapter 3, and so on. Just spend time intently looking into the Word of God. Ask yourself the question, what is God trying to show me in this passage? What does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage reveal about me? What in this passage is identifying some sin that I need to stop or something I need to start obeying? Just start asking yourself the question, what is God's word doing in me? What is God trying to say to me through this text? And look at the word intently. And then secondly, notice James in this illustration says that we're to remember the word. What was the problem with the hearer? He looked into the mirror intently. He did that right, but then he immediately forgot. James says that's a problem. That's pointless. That's a waste of your time. And so if if you're not remembering the word, then there's a problem. Now, there's a couple of reasons that we might not remember the word. One is that when we are looking into the word, we're not actually looking into the word intently. How many of you have ever read a passage of scripture, got done with it and said, what did that say? Right? You can do the same thing with a book, by the way. How many of you ever read a chapter in a book, got done with a chapter and went, oh man, I wasn't paying attention. You say, how in the world can you read and not pay attention? I do it quite well sometimes. Right? And so we have to make sure that we're looking intently. It also helps for us to memorize the word of God. Matter of fact, David says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, there is great value in memorizing the word. 
just, just, just remembering and memorizing the word, there's also really good value in making sure that we understand the word and that we remember the word that's been taught to us. How many of you ever woke up on a Monday and forgotten what the preacher preached on on Sunday? Right? Or maybe at lunch? You know something even more ridiculous? I've done it when I've been preaching. Seriously, come quiz me. Ask me what I preached on three weeks ago. And I'll go, let me check. (laughs) It's so easy to forget, amen? It's so easy to forget the details. We don't have to remember every detail. But we want to make sure is that when you're hearing the word, whether it be through a, through, a, through a lesson or through a sermon, whatever it happens to be, that you're listening intently enough that you remember what was said. You remember the basic truths of the passage. You're able to understand and remember what the word of God teaches. You don't need to remember every single term in there, but you at least need to come away from this morning remembering that we are to be doers of the word. Amen? If you come away from this morning thinking, I need to spend more time in the front of the mirror, you missed it, right? You heard the illustration and you missed everything that was important, right? So at least let's take away from this passage this morning that we are to be doing the Word of God. And so we're supposed to be intently looking into the Word of God. we got to remember the Word. And then third, we must obey the Word in action. Notice the phrase at the end of verse 25. He says that the one who looks into the law or the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. A doer who acts. James is talking specifically about action. This is not liking the word. This is not agreeing with the word. This is doing the word. You can say... I like the Bible. I like it. It's got some good stuff in there. You can even agree with it. Yeah, I think the Bible's true. I think it's God's word. It's great. But are you doing the word? Is the word producing action in your life? Don't fool yourselves into thinking that just because you profess faith in Christ and you claim Christ, means that you have a relationship with Christ. say, what do you mean? I mean, James tells us that if we're not doing the word, then our faith is not genuine. You say, well, what what does James know? James knows what Jesus knows and what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in John 14, 23 through 24. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So the Father, the Son, and James all agree. If we are not keeping the word, obeying the word, doing the word, then we don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. Now that's, again... Not fun to hear sometimes, but let's not get angry. Let's listen intently to the word and accept it as truth. You see, that's what makes James one of the books in the Bible that is hardest to digest. That's why so many want to throw the book of James out. It's because James tells us that faith without works is dead. We'll see that next chapter. 
James says that genuine faith is faith that produces action. And so we want to make sure that we respond to the word with genuine obedience to the word. God's word will and does have an impact in our life so that we will do the word of God. And then notice the great truth that we sort of glanced over in verse 25 that I don't want you to miss. James refers to the perfect law, the law of God, as the law of liberty. Why? Because the truth of the gospel, the word of truth, the implanted word, the law of liberty, is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sins. That if we would put our faith and trust in Jesus, we would be set free from sin. We would be set free from the flesh. And we would be at liberty to live our lives in obedience to the word of God. Listen, without the truth of the gospel having transformed you, you can't do the word. But because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, then he will be the one who will enable you to do the word. Amen? And so what we see is that we're to receive the word with humility. We're to respond to the word with obedience. And then thirdly, we are to rely upon the word for transformation. We're to rely upon the word for transformation. Now, if we're being totally honest, when we get into verses 26, especially in verse 27, we get really, really nervous. Why? Because James starts talking about pure and undefiled religion versus worthless religion that does you no good. And then James calls us out and asks us to do that which seems really, really difficult and extreme. And so let's walk through this passage. Let's make sure that we understand it within the context of receiving the word of God. And let's make sure that if God wants us to do something extreme, we allow him to lead us into doing something extreme. Amen? That didn't sound exciting. All right, let's jump in anyway. Number three, we are to rely upon the word for transformation. Notice what James says in verse 26. He begins to distinguish between true and false religion. Now, first of all, let's address the term religion. The term religion has become a very negative term in our culture, especially in our church culture. Matter of fact, you'll even hear me say often that we want to have a relationship with Christ, not a religion. Why do we speak about religion so negatively? Because most of the time, religion typically devolves into man-made legalism like we see it happen with the Israelites and the Pharisees. Like James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the New Testament church in Jerusalem, saw it happen around him. Therefore, he did not want it to happen to our religion, our faith of Christianity. And so James says, let me distinguish between real religion and false religion. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 26 with some key examples. He says, first of all, if you think you have religion, but you don't bridle your tongue, then you deceive your heart and your religion is worthless. Harsh, but true words. James says, if you think you have religion but you can't control what comes out of your mouth, then your religion is worthless. Now, Jesus teaches us in the New Testament that out of the mouth reveals what's really in our heart, right? 
And so there's, James is, is, is drawing upon the teaching of Jesus as he does all throughout the book of Jesus, I mean the book of James. He draws on what we see in the Gospels, especially in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And so as James is drawing this out, he's saying, listen, even my brother Jesus, the, the, the living Lord Jesus Christ, he told us that out of the heart comes the wickedness of man. And that heart is revealed through our speech. Therefore, whatever you say is what's in your heart. James says we got to bridle our tongue. What does that mean? It means that even though our hearts have been transformed and we have been made new in Christ, as long as we live in these fleshly bodies, I've got to control what comes out of my mouth. Because oftentimes what comes out of my mouth is not going to be glorifying to God, even though I am a child of God. Think about it for a minute. You hit your thumb with a hammer. Whether you love Jesus or not, you've got to control your tongue in that moment. Amen? You just got to. And, and even if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, which we do, I've still got to be able to bridle my tongue. When somebody comes at me, and, and, and not in love, but just harshly attacks me, I've got to be able to control my tongue. I can promise you what wants to come out will not be glorifying to God and edifying to that person. It will be sinful. It will be wrong. And so we have to be able to bridle our tongue. You see, bridling your tongue has to do with more than just controlling outbursts of anger. It has to do with avoiding gossip and backbiting, speaking before we think, hateful speech aimed at a person or a race, voicing our opinion or frustration on social media, etc. There's so many ways that we allow our speech to get out there, especially nowadays where everybody feels like we've got to share everything we've ever felt in front of the entire world including whether you liked your last meal or not, right? we got to share everything because apparently everybody wants to know all that we do all the time. And so we're speaking, whether it's through typing or texting or speaking out loud, we're speaking all the time. And James says you got to be able to control that thing. you got, you got, to, you got to bridle it. you got to put the bit in your mouth and bite down sometimes. Sometimes you got to put two hands over your mouth and hold it shut. you got to be able to control your speech. And if you can't control your speech, then James says your religion is worthless. That's rough, but it's true. James moves on to discuss two other examples. He first of all talks about the care of the needy in verse 27. Notice he says religion that is poor, pure, not poor, pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows were the two in that society that were most at need. The word visit doesn't mean to visit and say hello. It means to visit and care for. And so James says if you want genuine religion that is true, that is pure, that is undefiled before God, take care of the needy. Now what does that mean for us today? It means the same thing it did back then. It means that we're supposed to be providing for the needy that are all around us. Those that are in greatest need are the ones that we're to be providing for. Listen, the care of widows and orphans is not the responsibility of the government. It has always been and should always be the responsibility of the church. Amen? And in order for us to meet the needs of the needy, we have to do it together. 
And it will cost us to do it. Even now, the North Carolina Baptist State Convention is partnering with the Baptist Children's Home of North Carolina to help the over 16,000 orphans in North Carolina through the Every Child Foster and Adoption Initiative. The vision of the North Carolina Baptist State Convention and the vision of the North Carolina Baptist Children's Home is that the churches in North Carolina could cover the 16,000 orphans in North Carolina so that those 16,000 children would go to homes where they could hear the gospel and have their eternities be transformed. Amen? Sounds like an incredible thing to do. Amen? And instead of being scared of it, we ought to pray about how we could be involved in it. Instead of reading that and going, got to get away from that. Let's be quick to hear. Let's be slow to respond. And let's affirm the truth of God's word and let's pray about how God would have us to be involved. Amen? Who knows what the Lord wants to do in us individually or us corporately to where we might could have an impact. And so we want to pray, God, how would you have us to be involved in orphan care? How would you have us be involved in caring for the widows? Now, James in 1 Corinthians, he helps distinguish between those that are widowed and those who are widows in need, as James talks about here. And so, of course, there are those who are widowed who have lost their husband. There's those who have lost their wives and they are widows as well. And it's this idea of Does that widow have family that can take care of them? If so, Paul says, let the family take care of them. But when those widows are in need and there's no one to take care of them, the church ought to be the ones to take care. And even when family is available, the church still ought to be involved in taking care of the widows. Amen? And I want you to understand that this is not the responsibility of the pastor. This is not the responsibility of the deacons alone. This is the responsibility of the entire church body. Amen? And it's a whole lot more effective when we all work together to accomplish the task. What does James tell us? He says, pure and undefiled religion before the Lord takes care of the needy that are around. And so again, we want to pray. And we don't want to just pray and hear We want to do something. Amen? We want to do something. If you want to be more involved in providing for the widows and those elderly that are in need in our community, in our church, come see me. Come see WIT. We'd love to share with you more about how we're visiting, when we're visiting. Matter of fact, WIT's trying to put together a plan of how we can together do this together. Amen? Wow. Amen? Amen. Woo! Let's do it together. Amen? Let's do it. Let's do the word. And let's pray about what God would have us to do for the orphans. Should we just send a check? There's nothing wrong with that. They need money. Should we volunteer to be foster parents? Should we pray about adoption? What would God have us to do? I'm not asking you to do anything that God doesn't lead you to do. I'm simply asking all of us to be receptive to whatever God would lead us to do. Amen? God, what would you leave me to do? And then 
The third thing that James points out here that we ought to pure, prove, that proves our religion is pure and undefiled is not only that we would take care of the needy, but we would keep ourselves unstained from the world. The idea here is that we would not allow the world to have a negative effect on us. Well, that's going to be hard. I want to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm going to live life and do life in this world, but not be negatively impacted by the world, nor am I going to be carried away with the cares of this world. Well, I failed this week. You failed this week. That's an incredibly difficult thing to do, amen? How do we do it? Well, Paul tells us exactly how this is possible. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, you can t- actually turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, 1 if you want to, because we're going to spend just a moment there, because I don't want to just read that passage. I want to briefly explain what that passage is teaching us and how it correlates to what James tells us here. Oftentimes, people say, well, Paul and James disagree. I want to show you how much in correlation they actually are. And so here's what James says. James says that true and undefiled religion is to keep oneself unstained from the word by allowing ourselves to be impacted by the word of God that we would not be hearers but doers of the word amen and here's what Paul says Paul says if you want to be not conformed to this world but be transformed then here's what he says to start with I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God Paul says looking back at the mercies of God which is everything we learn about what God did for us through Jesus for our salvation How God had mercy on us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those are the mercies of God. Right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. Romans 10, 9, that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Those are the mercies of God. And Paul says, based upon the mercies of God, I want to present myself to him as a living sacrifice, dead to self, but alive to him. That's what genuine faith looks like. That's what faith in action looks like. Amen? Paul says, once you do that, then you no longer, verse 2, have to be conformed to this world. Once you're fully living for Jesus, you no longer have to be conformed to this world. You can then live in the world, but not be of the world. Why? Because you're a living sacrifice. You've died to self. You've died to, to whatever the world tells you you want to attain. You've died to that, and you're now living for Christ. And your mind is able to be transformed so that you can be not conformed to this world, but be conformed into the image of Christ. How do we transform our mind? Through the word of God. Amen? It's by spending time in the word. 
It's by doing exactly what James has told us to do here, spending time in the Word. And once we spend time in the Word, notice what Paul says, then we'll be able to prove what is the perfect will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what it is that God wants us to pursue in our lives. Turns out Paul and James aren't contradictory at all. They fit together perfectly as the Word of God, amen? Because both are teaching us the same thing. It is the Word of God that brings about the righteousness of God in our lives. It is allowing the Word of God to transform us from the inside out. And it is acting out God's Word in our actions, in our lives, so that we are doers of the Word. So how do we respond to the Word this morning? We first of all receive it with humility. Knowing that we desperately need God's Word working in our lives. Then we respond to it with obedience. Even when the obedience seems like it's out of this world or seems like it's difficult or scary, we respond by doing the word of God. And then we rely upon the word for transformation. You don't just try to do better. You spend time in the word and let God's word transform you from the inside out. Because it's not just the Word that's been implanted in you, it's the Word through the Holy Spirit that's been implanted in you. And you let this living and active Word have its way in you. And then what you begin to see is the gospel transforms your life. You no longer care about what you used to care about. You're no longer motivated about what motivates the rest of this world. You find yourself living for the eternal kingdom of God. So I got a couple questions as we close. Number one, does that describe you? Are you living for the eternal kingdom of God? Or are you still wrapped up in the cares of the world? As James says, are you still stained by the world? Is the world still having a huge impact in your life? James says, be careful. That kind of religion is worthless. That kind of religion is not what you're after. What you're after is a genuine relationship with Christ that works itself out into pure and undefiled religion before God. And so let me first of all just ask, do you really and truly know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can't help but come to a passage like this and ask ourselves the question, God, am I doing the word? Am I, am, I, am I a hearer only who doesn't genuinely have a relationship with you? Or am I actually receiving and doing the word, thus proving my faith in you? If you're here this morning and God's convicting you because you don't have a personal relationship with him, you don't have a faith that produces works, then I want to encourage you, trust in what God is doing. You you may not have a clue. You may be confused. Listen, that's fine. Come see me before you leave. I don't want you to leave confused or doubting. Come see me and just say, Will, I, I need to talk with you about my faith. And let's talk. Let's pray. But let's make sure that we all leave here today affirmed of our salvation because we have a faith that produces action. Amen? Then secondly, Let me ask you, how are you responding to the word of God in your life? Are you you looking at it intently? Are you spending time in it? 
Are you doing your best to make sure you understand it and that you remember it so you can put it into action? Are you receiving it with humility? Are you obeying it? Are you relying upon it for transformation? Let's make sure that we allow the Word to do what God intends the Word to do. Amen? Maybe you're here and you've been praying and God's leading you to make this your church home. Maybe you're here and the Lord is leading you to follow Him in believer's baptism. Whatever and however the Lord is working and the Lord is leading, then as we come before the Lord during this time of invitation, this is our chance to respond. I'll be here, be more than happy, and would love to pray with you. This altar is open. I'd love for you to come and pray at this altar. You can pray where you're at. But however the Lord is leading, I want you to follow him in faith and in obedience. During our hymn of invitation, David's just going to play the music. There's going to be no words to sing. So we're going to stand. We're going to listen to the Lord. And we're going to listen to David play. And we're going to respond as the Lord leads. Amen. Let's stand and let's follow the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for how you're going to work during this time of invitation now. We surrender ourselves to you and we pray, Lord Jesus, for your will to be revealed to us that we might follow you in faith and in obedience now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As David gets things ready, if you will stand and let's respond to the Lord together this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for how you are working in our midst, how you're working in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives Lord, that we would put this word that we've heard this morning to action this week. Lord, that we would contemplate, we would look intently into your word, that we would meditate on it. Lord, that we would pray about how we're to respond, how we're to obey, how we're to put it into action. And Lord, that your word would continue to transform us from the inside out. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the impact that it's having. We thank you for the impact that it has had. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to have your will and your way in us as individuals and in us as a church family. Lord, we want to follow you faithfully. We want to bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.